This movie. You ready? You ready for my thoughts? Give us your <laughs> a big old stinkeroo. <laughs> this movie's a big old stinker. That's what I think of the FNAF movie. All right, two thumbs down. Big old stinkeroo. Welcome back to the Excelsior Podcast, everybody. As always, I'm your host, Jordan Wasserberger, and today I am joined by Patrick Steinbau. Hello. And Logan Dracos. What's up? Happy Halloween to both of you, to everybody Woo! listening. By. Do you guys want to say what you're dressed as? What? Yeah, yeah, I've got some skeleton, I don't know, I think skeleton face paint or something uh, like that. It was done by... It was done by Abby Cham, who listens to this podcast. Shout out, Abby. Shout out, Abby. Logan, who are you dressed as? And what are you USC as? Spike. Um, I'm an impromptu fraternity brother. VMI. Well, it looks good. As high up on my head as physically possible. Dude, it looks good. It does. Is this just how you normally, is this how you normally walk around? What are you? Please, do tell. <laughs> so, so, this is a group costume, okay? There were... Several of us, all being different characters from a TV show. <laughs> I <laughs> was Chandler. And then rest we decided on that. Rest in peace. And then a few weeks later, rest in peace, Matthew Perry very sadly passed away. Um, so that's who I'm dressed as. Um, terrible, terrible timing. But but you didn't like change. You, you're not. You didn't so, like change it. <laughs> they they didn't want to change. Okay, I was like, guys, this is a terrible idea, and they were like, no, it's. But fine. you couldn't have said like someone else be Chandler. Then. Well, but there, who, there, a there was nobody else, and b who would I have been then? Joey. I don't know. Shrek. No, somebody else. <laughs> what? No, that's like a group thing. <laughs> we're doing a very spooky episode talking about uh, I, was like, I, should, I should have done like some lights anyways very spooky episode talking about the Five Nights at Freddy's movie which just came out but before that we're going to talk about an actual real life horror story which is what is going on right now at Bungie so if you haven't seen this just happened yesterday uh, 10% of Bungie's staff have been laid off which is fucking terrible uh, that is not uncommon for the gaming industry. Like nearly every studio is doing layoffs right now. What is uncommon is why these layoffs are happening. Uh, so the people who are being laid off are literally across the company. It's like community managers, QA people, music people, art people, like individuals that the community really knew well. And if anybody who's listening to this podcast, whether anybody who knows me knows I'm a huge Destiny guy. Like, this is like a 10-year franchise for me. So it's like, this sucks ass. Um, but yeah, these are people that were objectively good at their jobs. Like, people that we all knew and, and all really respected, including Michael Salvatore, who, if you don't know, is has been the lead composer for Bungie since 1997. He is the guy who did all of the Halo music and most of the Destiny music. You know, only two of the most iconic music pieces, themes, whatever you want to call them, soundtracks uh, in gaming. So it fucking sucks. Um, and it's awful and everybody laid off. Like, it's it's horrible. Uh, and we feel for you. And as for the reasons why, because this just came out an hour ago, apparently Destiny 2 missed revenue projections for this year by 50%, which first, which which should tell anyone that there is something cataclysmically wrong 
going on at Bungie. And really from a management perspective, there was a big article by IGN today, uh, which we can link in the description of this episode, that said that you know developers have been talking to leadership for eight months and telling them what is wrong with the game and begging them to let them do the things to fix player retention and bring the game back to what it's supposed to be. And leadership said no. They did not want to do those things, which would have fixed the game. And the result is that the game was 50% under... Uh, under you know revenue um, assum- uh, revenue mark. First off, fuck you to leadership for not listening to your developers Wait, who are trying their best. Being on fifty percent under targets, it means the game that's very is, bad. That's, that's very impossible. bad. That is impossibly bad for the list. Is not as bad as you can get. <laughs> yeah, so that's, so that's the thing, right? Is like number one, if your developers are telling you that they, that like bad things are going to happen if they don't do X, Y, and Z, and you tell them not to do X, Y, and Z, and then you fire them when the bad things happen, that's being a terrible leader. Number one. Number two. In order to miss your revenue projections by 50% when your game is has well over a million concurrent players and is pumping out paid content more than any other game on the market, that means those projections were wrong. That means you have done a massive miscalculation somewhere and have no idea what's actually going on internally. So it's another leadership issue uh, that clearly needs addressing. And then the last bit of bad news is Destiny's you know next a big expansion, which is the final expansion of the first 10-year saga, and Marathon, Bungie's first game in over a decade, have both been delayed. Um, so basically everything that has gone wrong, that could possibly go wrong, has gone wrong. And very clearly, this is not a people are not, you know, performing well. This is a leadership has royally fucked up. And instead of like, apparently they built, like, apparently during the Sony acquisition, $1.2 billion of that acquisition of the three, three and a half billion dollars was supposed to go to employee retention specifically to avoid this. So again, fuck you. Like if if you couldn't retain these people with $1.2 billion, something has gone cataclysmically wrong. Um, So yeah, it just, it sucks. Um, I really hope these people you know, find jobs and find jobs soon because these are some of the most talented people in gaming. And even if you're not a Destiny fan, like Destiny's ability to survive and not only survive, but like dominate an entire genre for 10 years is unbelievable. Um, And it's because of these people. So it sucks. It's an ongoing story. I'm sure, you know, we'll learn more as the weeks go on. Um, But it's definitely, definitely, you know, a pretty, pretty shitty week. Um, and for everybody still at Bungie, like who just lost, you know, 10% of your friends and now realize that your leadership doesn't really care about their product. Um, I also feel for you. And by like, for players, like this is a wake up call to us that the only thing Bungie cares about is how much money we spend in game and how much time we spend. They don't give a shit about what the developers believe is best for the game. And so if you're angry about this, Yell on Twitter all you want, like let them know that you're angry and then stop playing the game. That is the only way to actually get the message across that this is unacceptable. Just stop playing. Um, That's all I've got on it. Uh, You know, uh, more intelligent analysis will come when we know more, but that just felt it was worth talking about because, you know, this is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, losing like, losing like 10% of your friends, like at, 
this job. It, it would be like us losing half of Alexei. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, just just a real crippling blow to morale in the office. Yeah. But no, on a on a more serious note, I think this is like a like it goes beyond gaming. I think a lot of what you see happen in regards to this happens in gaming, but like leadership not taking accountability of yeah. companies is like such a big thing in the modern day and age where uh, where like that's that's why the writers and actors strikes were happening why the yeah. actors strike is still going on is because a lot of it is like these ridiculous ridiculous uh ceo salaries that you know take away a fraction of that and it could help sustain so many more people at the bottom end but instead when things go wrong you know those salaries stay the same and you see layoffs on the bottom end yeah and that's why when you hear stories about like the nintendo guy who when they came under revenue projections like cut his own salary by like a shit ton and didn't um didn't cut his his employees at all it's it's like it stands out um when it really should be at least more normal yeah yeah, it's really easy to not fire 10% of your staff if you're being paid tens of millions of dollars a year on top of the $1.2 billion you already had to keep um, employee retention. By the way, this is also why like 98% of the video game industry voted to unionize earlier this year. Uh, and I and you know that's only going to be triggered if they deem it necessary. It's seeming pretty necessary at this point. Uh, anyways, with that... Five Nights of Freddy's. Uh, we're going to do same FNAF. Uh, same, same thing we did for, for the creator. You know, we'll go around. We'll give our quick thoughts. Uh, I have some notes, some stuff I want to get into. Um, I also want to preface this by saying, because it, it is important for our analysis, none of us on this podcast are FNAF lore gods. Like, yeah, not like diehards. Yeah. Like, like we're all... Like, I okay, played, Logan, I guess no, not. I, Logan, I'm like a relative fan. I, I maybe, I, I was thinking about it uh, after talking with Jordan yesterday, maybe watched a Game Theory episode a couple of years ago, but I really, I went in zero. Yeah, I, I've played FNAF 1, 2, and 3, I think. I think 1, 2, and 3. Uh, and I've watched a bunch of the Game Theory stuff. Um, but I still would not consider myself you know, knowledgeable to the extent that like a lot of people on the internet are. I think that's important. Uh, yeah, probably like for me, probably like a year and a half ago, yeah. I watched one four and a half hour video that just runs through like all of it. Yeah. And, and reason- I haven't refreshed my memory, but like I do remember some stuff. Yeah. And the reason why I bring that up is just because like this is one of those franchises. This is one of the most lore rich franchises um, that's out there. Like there, can this fly stop? Their world building and and the mystery and all of that is is at the heart of what makes this franchise you know have such staying power. I think it's uh, important just to give a disclaimer. But anyways, this movie, you ready? You ready for my thoughts? Give us <laughs> a big old stinkeroo. This movie's a big old stinker. That's what I think of the FNAF movie. All right, two thumbs down. Big old stinkeroo. And I'm going to just go come right out the gate hot here. And this is what I told Logan last night. 
I am going to give a Ethan Wagoner level take on just right here. You ready, Patrick? You ready? Well, Logan knows what it is. But y'all ready for this? This movie should have had simpler characters and a simpler plot. That is what would have made this movie better. This is way too complicated of a story. These are way too three dimensional. They had two. They were two three dimensional, dude. They were two three dimensional. But like, I unlike Ethan, by the way, I actually have a reason for why I say that. The thing that made the games so compelling for so many people is this idea that, like, is the idea of zero context, right? The idea that, like, you are thrust into this situation, all you have at your disposal are a couple of computer screens in front of you, and you just have to survive. And as you survive, you slowly learn more and more about what's going on, right? That was the core concept. Um, And that idea of keeping information from players and really drip feeding it was prevalent both in terms of the actual story, right? Like, I think, like, the way they did it was, like, once you survived a full night, only then did you get, like, a short cutscene to keep going. Um, But it was also prevalent in the gameplay. Like, you never saw the animatronics move. You never saw them kill. You would just, like, toggle to a computer screen and they'd either be there or they wouldn't be there. Um, and as long as you were on that screen, they wouldn't move and you switch away, switch back, and then they would have like disappeared, right? But like that was the core idea. And that was really cool. And I think this movie gives too much context and too much screen time to the thing that is meant to be scary because we don't know what it is, right? Like the animatronics are honestly more of a main character in this movie than some of the actual human main characters. We get more screen time with them than we do with a lot of other people. And they're also not evil. Like the movie kind of has you sympathize, not kind of, it straight up has you sympathize uh, with the animatronics and has them on screen up to the point where you're not scared of them at all. And when you take away like the main scary thing from the scary movie, then I don't really know what you're left with. Uh, other than that, like there are characters in the movie that just like shouldn't be there and are just fit, feel kind of stuffed in. Like Vanessa feels kind of stuffed in. The side plot with the mom wanting to take the sister away the from from the aunt, sorry, wanting to take the sister away from from Mike feels super stuffed in. Um, just all, all this stuff that you don't need. Like you can tell a really interesting story just about Mike. William Afton and him trying to find his long lost brother, which by the way, there's no payoff to with the long lost brother, aside from like you learn that William Afton took him, but like it's not like the brother was like turned into one of the animatronics. Anyways, um yeah, it's just like it says he killed him. Yeah, there's just too much in we also killed the other kids. There's just too much in this movie that doesn't need to be there. Um, but I did really like that they have Matthew, they have the game theory guy, Matthew Patrick, say it's just a yeah. theory. That was cool. I like that. Um, and, and, but I also say, as I told Logan, uh, while there were a lot of things that were in this movie for too long, Matthew Lillard is not in this movie nearly enough. Like he is so good as William Afton for the two seconds that you get him. And I would have like, honestly preferred this be like a William Afton origin story because he was really good. But, uh, yeah, Patrick and Logan. Yeah. I just want to say that I agree with almost everything you said. And I still think I like the movie. <laughs> I, I totally, I totally agree. I think Vanessa drags down the enjoyment of the movie a lot. I think Matthew Lillard as William Afton 
should have been in the movie way, way, way more. Yeah. Um, I think that the movie should have been way, way, way scarier. Yeah. I do not think it should have been PG-13. Um, but... It had to be. Had to be. But it, I think even PG-13, it could have been way you scarier. Can, you can like, do it was a not even scary. close yeah. to the yes, R. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but... <laughs> I think that I'm fine with this movie missing out on a lot of the stuff that I think is great about the FNAF floor with the assumption that that's where they're taking it in the future, mm. right? Because they, they are doing at least two more movies. And, you know, even if those, even if those were just talked about before, even if they hadn't been officially greenlit, you better pass after this yeah. weekend's box yeah. office they have greenlit those movies and those talks of a script are happening. And I wouldn't be surprised if the turnaround on this next one was like a year and a half, two years max. Um, and I think that like, yes, this movie is missing to me, the best part of the FNAF lore, which is the Henry character. Um, and I, I am only okay with the, I am okay with it, but only on the assumption it gets done in the future. As, as for what this movie does well, I think, uh, like, I just liked watching it. I liked the ambiance of the restaurant. I think that Josh Hutcherson is doing a lot of the work here because he's yeah. a great actor. Um, and I do think Mike is a well-written and yep. compelling character. And honestly, that's the most important one to get right, the main character. Um, something about just having, like, real-life animatronics was, while they weren't as scary as I would have hoped, it, it was very um, immersive, um, and I say generally the, um, what was I going to say? The, the setting outside of Freddy's, like the idea that all this is happening, like in this, in this small town. And like, that's why William Afton's like been able to get away with the, this and like, no one's talking about it. It's a part of history. Everyone's trying to forget. It's just cool. And that's, that's like cool. also like a good that. part of FNAF lore that actually did get translated to this. So I like the movie, even though there are many flaws with it. Yeah, I agree where I could, I could probably just like shit on this movie for 30 minutes straight. But at the same time, I very much enjoyed it. I found like, I really, really enjoyed Josh Hutcherson. I think he did a great job. Um, and just that part was compelling. Like his character journey was honestly what kept me in it because like Abby was not really doing it for me. No. Vanessa was not really doing it for me. Just like the tone changes with those characters were so sudden. But I feel like the the exploration of the dream world and kind of the intrigue there where it's connected to the real world, but there's something very supernatural going on and him trying to figure out like what is important to him, figuring out that Abby is actually way more important to them and he realizes in that character development he communicates it very well through his facial expressions. Uh, and that's like what kept me entertained and enjoyed. And then there's just this little bit of intrigue around the lore. Because going into it, like I said, all I knew is that FNAF is animatronic jump scare mania kind of thing. And I was honestly pleasantly surprised by how engaged I was throughout this movie. Um, and if I had to say my main negative, it would be that they weren't willing to commit to it being a horror movie at all, or even a thriller. Yeah. Like it wasn't not at qualified all. as a thriller at all. 
that I would honestly say, like this movie felt like felt like the writers and producers said, "Hey, remember FNAF? This is what it's about." And, and like this could have been like a twenty minute short film as like a teaser for the two for the real two hour movie uh, coming yeah, out next that's year. Actually true. <laughs> like that's that's kind of the vibe I got. Um, uh, yeah, I, I I do I do wonder like for you guys, for you guys, what do you think about the choice to make the animatronics sympathetic? Because because in in the games. The context for how they're real unfolds over time, but they're always trying to kill you. Like there's no, at no point are you like, oh, there's a way in which I can work with them. They're always the the big monster. Um, what do you think of the the choice to make them like almost friend? Actually, at the end, like the heroes of of the movie. Um, I I think that the. Uh, I think that what this it's more, I would say what this movie does with them trying to be the heroes wouldn't have translated to the game. Yeah. Um, Like, like wouldn't have worked if it was part of the game. I don't think it being how this movie plays out in just, just the end of the third act um, is a wrong choice. And I don't think it would have been um, a bad story decision for the games either it just wouldn't have worked because then all of the like gameplay yeah. would have collapsed. Um, so I, I, I think it works, but again, with the running assumption that in the next movies, they will be trying to kill people again and hopefully more scarily doing so. Like, like the games are cool. Uh, I just, I think there are a lot of unknowns with this quote unquote franchise. Um, but by the news around the franchise, are they? They've declared at least. Well, the I mean, first off, for three movies. First off, yeah. So, so Matthew Lillard has signed on to do three movies. Uh, they're still making FNAF games, and credit to Scott Cawthorn, the creator of this franchise, for like building this massive internet, you know, frenzy fad, whatever you want to call it, around a really simple concept. And keeping it going for almost 10 years now to the point where there's a movie franchise off it. Like, shout out to Scott Cawthorn. Pretty crazy. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I guess three movies have been talked about. I assume a sequel will be greenlit because this movie made well there, over 100. There's just no way that yeah. a sequel does not get greenlit. I think and we don't hear about it in the next couple so of days. I think this is Blumhouse. And it grossed $136 million worldwide. $136 yeah. globally. Yeah. I yeah. think, by the way, this is Blumhouse's just... most successful movie. I think I might be wrong. But I think it, it, well, it's Blumhouse's biggest opening weekend yes. ever. Yes. Um, can I just say, like the the uh, Jason Blum, I think is his name, yeah. right? The guy who runs Blumhouse. Like, I'm in love with this guy's movie making business model. Even if I don't like the movies, um, they have totally committed to making very modest budget movies, mm-hmm. making a bunch of them that are high concept each year. And every year there are some Blumhouse movies in people's bottom 10. And there are some Blumhouse movies in people's top 10, yeah. <laughs> like without fail. And I just think that that's cool. Like he's, he's just letting ideas get out there and they stand a very reasonable chance of making their money back because he's not blowing ridiculous sums on them. You know, it's crazy when you let your people be creative and, uh, you know, do the things that they think they should do. 
you do well. Yeah. <laughs> I also think it's works. really cool. Like, I think this weekend was a really cool showing from the, uh, from the five nights at Freddy's fan base yeah. to get that much of a gross going. Cause I know we all watched it on Peacock. Yeah. Um, on Jordan's Peacock. <laughs> we all watched it on my Peacock. Wait, did Jordan, did you notice I made a new profile? I, I not did. Jordan. The, the I, not I watched Jordan. it on that yeah. one. Yeah, I was logging in. I'm I like, I want to watch it under Jordan's account. So I go on your Peacock and I make a new profile <laughs> for me to watch. I saw that. <laughs> um, but like, it's a day and date release on in theaters and on yep. Peacock, and it made this much money. And I think that's a really cool showing from the fan base because you see a lot of fan bases out there. The most notable one is DC, where there are literally memes about like how much they talk online versus when the stuff comes out in the theater, they're just not there. Yep. And like FNAF has a big online culture, but they showed up, and I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, it is. Ridiculous. It was also like 90% of the opening weekend audience was like under 30. <laughs> it is yeah. ridiculous that we live in the world in which Blue Beetle makes like $3.85 and Five Nights at Freddy's makes $140 million in Did one Did Blue Beetle weekend. come out already? DC. Yeah, dude. DC fans? Like, like all those DC fans out there, I know y'all are like feeling pretty bl- glum about where your franchise is. This is just why. Become a Five Nights at Freddy's exactly. fan. Well, just become a, just change teams. <laughs> number one, number two. This is why the franchise is where it is. If you just see the movies, act with your money, talk with your wallets, and you will get what you want. All those. Fans I mean, they have been talking with their wallets. I think pretty clearly. <laughs> yeah, you're right, you're right. it's the inverse. Yeah, no, all those fans of Freddy fans who like were hyped for this movie for years. Because like this movie, which we didn't really talk about, what we probably should, had a really rocky development cycle. Like it was, this, it's been in development for like eight years. Eight years. It was canceled and then rebrought back with like a new cast, new director, new everything, and they got the job done. And, like I may not like the movie personally. But the fact that it exists and isn't like the worst movie ever made, like it's still better than The Rise of Skywalker. Like, this movie is better than The Rise of Skywalker. Okay. Move on. Move on. Move on. <laughs> Next point. In, I can see Excelsior five years from now, Five Nights at Freddy's tier list. I'm calling it. Right Dude, now. Five Nights at Freddy's tier list. Yeah. Is gonna go it's going to be insane. what? Three movies? We <laughs> <laughs> have to do it. The, the Five Nights yeah. at Freddy's versus Star Wars tier list. Yes. And we God, that's that, <laughs> Imagine we start combining tier lists. <laughs> that's when you know we're really strapped for content. <laughs> <laughs> hey guys, today we're going to be doing a book and a movie. Today's episode is Percy Jackson books alongside DreamWorks <laughs> Animation. <laughs> Just yeah, those really unrelated things. Only uh, How to Train Your Dragon and Shrek movies. Back <laughs> up. Oh yeah, I love that. That would be a good oh. idea, though, like franchise battles. We did that. You should. You all should go check it out on the Excelsior Podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, and for all of you international people out there, Amazon Music. On Amazon Music, Excelsior Brandon is Quo, now on Amazon, Amazon Music. Music. Shout out Brandon Quo if he's listening. Shout Alexa, <laughs> open Excelsior podcast. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Do you want to talk about anything else with, with Five Nights at Freddy's? 
Anything else anybody wants yes, to bring up? so much. Oh, okay. We need to dive into some of these. <laughs> oh, well, I would, Bro, okay. Different. okay, well, yeah, I, we, there was still low on the conversation. Yeah, all right, let's dive into it. Um, Patrick, no, take, I, I know what away. I want to take talk about. Vanessa first. She's the worst part of the movie. It's not close. Like, <laughs> such, such, such frustrating writing. Like, yeah, she's a- absolutely. You're you're not intrigued about her past. You're just frustrated that she's not talking. You're about actually it, annoyed with her. I don't actively. Yeah. Yeah, I don't have a I don't have a fix for them, but it's also it doesn't help that they made her a cop because this whole time I'm going like, how much time does this police officer have to be building pillow forts in a broken down restaurant? <laughs> like, also, I don't think they can go ahead, go do ahead. that. <laughs> yeah. Also, there's zero explanation for why she hasn't, you know, bulldozed this place. Like they say that, like, oh, it's because she has childhood memories attached there. And then they go into this whole thing about how, like, she hates her father because, you know, he's a serial killer. Like, why don't you not burn this place to the ground? But she's also too traumatized by him right. to, like, do anything against him, which, like, I guess makes sense. I would buy it if it were just, like, specific action stuff. But the fact that she's just, like, clearly willing to recognize that Mike is in a dangerous situation, but not actually help him get out of it or yeah. help Abby get out of it is just not good. I am very confused. She no. comes and she's like the, the, like on the first night and she's like, you're going to quit. And then she doesn't explain that there are murderous animatronic <laughs> robots that are like hunting. It's like very, very confusing as to like, if she knows the entire time, like tell him to get the fuck out. Wait, Wait, okay, hold on. This is also something I wanted to ask. At no point is Mike actually hunted by the animatronics, right? Yes, he like, is. What? Yeah. He, when he escapes from what? the machine. And then when when Abby draws the black over him on oh. the photos. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, that was also dumb. It's not that the animatronics were like entirely dependent on Abby's picture. The whole picture thing was really fucking stupid. Like uh, that I did not like at yeah. all. I do like, agree terrible. with what you brought up at the start that the anim that the animatronics like should have been doing more hunting. It, it wasn't a detriment to my viewing experience, but if they had spent another like couple million dollars on the VFX for this movie, that I feel like that would have very much enhanced the experience. I didn't think they looked bad. But it was definitely like uh, I wasn't blown away by this like sick animatronic uh, animations or any anything that was going on there, which I felt yeah. like they were really going to make a point <laughs> in like the Five Nights at Freddy movie to have the animatronics be super sick. But maybe that was yeah, an expectation of me as like a non Five Nights at Freddy's like lore person. Well, I don't think. I mean, I'd say the I, thing I is that. Um, like they are real animatronics, right? Yeah. It wasn't, I don't think it was, they were CGI and that obviously limits their movement capabilities, but also you're not really ever supposed to see them move right. when they're like doing intense action other than the cupcake, I guess. Which by um, the way, makes no sense because like, there another kid in the cupcake. There's, I don't remember. Is there a cupcake in the game? No, no, she could just hold I was sitting the there watching. I was like, I don't know. They're moving is because they're on. Wait, is there a kid in the cupcake? That's what I'm saying. I was thinking about that too. Yeah, the cupcake doesn't make sense. I think to Logan's phone with the animatronics, 
I get what they're going for, right? They're trying to make it a, you know, these are meant to be from the 1980s. And so they shouldn't be so insane. But I think you would have gotten more out of it if the animatronics had been like even remotely threatening or brutal in their hunting and killing. Like, and I don't think that was a CGI thing, though. I think that yeah, was a that's what I'm saying. That's, that's a movie making thing. Yeah. Like, I think you get around that issue if you just, you know, focus a little bit more on that. And like the one scene where Freddy like bites that girl's head off. Like, that was kind of cool. Um, the rest of it was, was cool. Pretty, was the rest cool. of it was like pretty stupid. Uh, yeah, but that like was kind the of chair thing, like the mask that slowly moves toward you. That made no sense to me. I did not understand what, what was the point of that, that like chair. And they would just like, apparently they just put people in the chair and then leave the entire room yeah. while it's and like leave like, them. And by the way, this is apparently the easiest trap to get out of because like the one hinge on the side is like super loose all the time. Well, actually, also, no, the guy was loosening it at the start. The former security guard actually loosened it at yeah. the very beginning of the movie. So it's called a setup and payoff. It's, kind of, it's called, yeah, what, what Patrick said. It's called that. Oh, <laughs> that was crazy. <laughs> First off, that was crazy. <laughs> Glad we just flashbanged all our viewers. Um, yeah, there's just a lot of weird inconsistencies with this movie that just add up, at least for me, where it was too much to uh, to to deal with. I was I was yeah, really, like I said know. at the start, like I could actually shit on this movie for thirty minutes, but I still yeah. found it enjoyable, despite like honestly not really being able to articulate a lot of reasons other than the main character. I, I think it's just the vibes. I yeah. like the vibes. That's like a big part of the franchise in general. You know, you're at Freddy's. It's cool. You are at Freddy's, and it is cool. You are there for five nights, you might say. Yeah, five whole nights. Or four yeah. nights. Unconfirmed. <laughs> four nights. It would have been cooler if Freddy's was like a sphere, though. <laughs> no. <laughs> Next joke. Next joke. <laughs> That's one of the most. my list of Excelsior running. posting like a Google Doc alongside every episode. It's like, guys, if we mention audio listeners, we have to get these beats. <laughs> guys, we talk about the rise of Skywalker. That's a callback, actually. You gotta get guys, started. do you think Five Nights at Freddy's was better or worse than Sing? <laughs> ah, I get it, guys. You have to go to the <laughs> finale. Yeah, are we are we done? Right. Are we wrapping up? Are we? I don't think there's much to analyze. I don't. I think I think this is a short and quick forty minute Excelsior episode. Okay, before so we wrap this the Excelsior pod. No, before, no, no, this is before we wrap. Okay, so before we wrap on this episode, guys, we got to give um, you know, got to do our numbers. Uh, Logan, you want to start us off? Numbers, final thoughts, whatever. Yeah, um, final thoughts. Like, while I definitely did enjoy this movie, really, just did not really blow me away. Held my attention for sure, um, but a lot of the issues that we talked about. Um, I'll probably throw it at around 6.4. Okay. Patrick? For me, it's going to be a 7 because I think Josh Hutcherson was able to carry it pretty far. Um, but I could see that going down. And I could also see it if the sequels are really good in the future going up because could be good setup stuff. That's fair. This much good, that much bad. Solid 5.5. Not much else to say. Guys, that's like not that much lower 
Okay, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Fine. Fine. You know what? No, because I gave Thor Love and Thunder a four, right? Fine. I'll give us a four point five. That better? Does okay. that make you guys happy? Okay. Makes me happy. Okay. Okay. 4.5. That is a wrap on this episode of Excelsior. Tune in next week for Gen V, which is, I think, going to be probably one of our best episodes this season. Because, like, Gen V is so good, and we all love the boys so much. And I'm so... And I haven't talked by, I haven't talked to Logan at all about Gen V. I have only talked to Patrick about it. Uh, so I'm really excited for that. So you guys should be too. Tune in in two weeks when we do that. Thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye. <laughs>